Amen. Thank you so much. What a blessing. Well, I purposely had them to come and sing that song for us tonight because I want to talk a little bit about tonight finishing well. So if you'll take your Bible and join me in the book of 2 Timothy chapter number 4, uh, Paul is writing tonight on the subject of finishing well. Boy, I want to finish well, don't you? I don't want to get to the end of life and just blow it and get out of the will of God and mess my life up and mess this church up and mess our family up, my family up, our church family up. I want to do my best to finish well. I don't know how much longer that I have. I'd like to think that I'm probably about halfway through the third quarter of my life. I may be in the fourth quarter. I may be on overtime. I don't know. But uh, I want to, whatever time it is in my life, whatever quarter that I'm in, I want to do my best to finish well. And uh, boy, that's my desire, ought to be our desire as well. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 4 tonight, if you have your Bible, uh, that's page 1281 if you have an old Schofield Bible. And I'd like to read maybe just the first eight verses of this chapter. And I don't know, I'm going to scratch around in all this tonight, but maybe we may come back to it, I'm not real sure. But I hope that uh, these verses tonight will speak to our hearts, all right? Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 4 now, verse number 1. Here's what the Bible said. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Sounds like he finished well, doesn't it? Look at verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Boy, what great verses on the subject of just finishing well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the music and the singing tonight. And Lord, just the opportunity to be in church. Lord, here and, and uh, Lord, to fellowship with people by way of live stream or radio. And uh, we sure want to welcome all of our people that are watching and listening tonight. Thank you for them being there. And I pray that you would bless our time here together tonight as we gather our thoughts now around the Bible, the Word of God. And I pray you'd help me tonight. Touch me. And Lord, you don't have to touch me. I'm nothing anyway. But if you touch your Word, that's what will make the difference in people's lives. And so I pray tonight you'd bless your Word, honor your Word. You promised to do that above your own name. God, use it and help us tonight. Speak to our hearts. And the Lord, just anything that I've tried to put in this week, I pray that you draw it out now according to your will. Help me, Lord, to be faithful to preach the word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, for a while now in our Wednesday evening services, we've been involved in a series of messages from the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. In fact, if I have them counted correctly, I think this is message number 13 from this book of the Bible. I've been calling this entire series of messages, I've been calling it a manual for maturity. 
a manual for maturity. Paul, as we have noted, is, is writing his final letter, his final words to his young protege, young Timothy. Keep in mind as we are reading these words, as we're making our way through this book of the Bible, what we're actually doing is we're reading the mail of the Apostle Paul. What this really is, we call it a book in our Bible, but really it's just a, a letter. It's a very personal, it's a very intimate letter between two people whose love for the Lord and love for each other runs very deeply. Paul, on a previous occasion, on a previous visit to the city of Derby, has won young Timothy to the Lord. Timothy, when he got to Derby, was really ripe for the picking, not because he had a godly daddy and a leader of his home, most people don't even think Timothy's daddy was a believer. Most of people don't even think that his daddy was even saved. But the one thing that Timothy really had going for him was that he had a godly mama and a godly grandmother who had been very busy putting the Word of God into young Tim. They had been living out the Word of God before young Tim's life in their daily lives. Well, young Timothy, at the preaching of the Apostle Paul, responds to the message of the gospel and gets gloriously saved. Sometime later, when Paul was back into that same area, he found out that the church was a buzz. I mean, man, they were really talking about a young convert, a young man by the name of Timothy. And so Paul took young Timothy under his wing and makes him his associate in the ministry. And as of the writing of this letter, Paul now knows that his time on earth is very short. Knowing that, Paul then writes to Timothy to encourage him and challenge him. Timothy, stand fast. And Timothy, be steadfast in the work of the Lord. You know, as you think through the Bible, you'll find out that most of the time, when one godly leader passed off the scene, there was always another one to take his place. I think about in the days of Moses who led the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and those years of wandering through the wilderness. When Moses died, the Bible said they mourned for him for 30 days, but thank God Moses had a Joshua. Then we read about Elijah, that great prophet of God, who stood up on top of Mount Carmel and preached, and the fire of God fell. And then, of course, we know Elijah passed off the scene, went to heaven in a fiery chariot. But thank God Elijah had an Elisha. And then in our text here, here's this great leader, champion of the faith, this man by the name of the Apostle Paul. He's now getting ready to pass off the scene. He says in our text, the time of my departure is at hand. But aren't you glad that even Paul had a young Timothy that he could mature and, and, and uh, put his hand upon and get him ready to take his place? Well, we now enter, according to our text tonight, we are now entering the last chapter of this letter. You know, every time I preach through one of these books of the Bible, I automatically think of it as my favorite book in the Bible. And such is the case with this book by the name of 2 Timothy. Boy, I've really enjoyed preaching through this great book of our Bible. But as we come to this closing chapter, Paul realizes that it's now time that he has now come to the end of his road. He is locked up in prison. He's no longer able to, to move about winning souls and starting churches. The only thing that Paul has to look forward to as far as the world is concerned is a dungeon and a death. Paul is now sitting in the Mamertine prison. What a wicked and ungodly place the Mamertine prison was. And a historian from that day described this prison like this. He said it was a disgusting 
in a vile place by reason of the filth and the darkness and the stench. And it's in this kind of an atmosphere that this great man of God will live out his final days on the earth. But as we've noticed, as we've worked through this book, we don't find Paul as a bitter old man facing death, belching out the frustrations that he has in life. Instead, as we read the final words of this great man of God, we find him facing death with a joy and a victory and a serenity in his heart. Then we come to chapter 4 tonight, and as we do, we find Paul once again encouraging young Timothy to be the man of God that God has saved him for and called for him to be. What I want to do tonight, if I may, in verse 1, boy, these are such, there's so many, there's so much great stuff in these verses. There's no way you could cram it all into one message, but I, I want to give you tonight, if I can, from this text, I'd like to talk about three things that Paul mentions here in these first eight verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4. It seems like to me as he works through this text, he has three words for young Timothy. Let me just, if I may, just point them out real quickly. First of all, in our text tonight, we find that there is a word about apostasy. A word about apostasy. Now, as this chapter opens, Paul is reminding Timothy of his responsibility to preach the word. Notice in verse 2, Paul said this, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Paul is charging young Timothy to preach the Word. Now, of course, we know at this time, Timothy is no longer the pastor of the great church located in Ephesus. You may remember from Revelation chapter 2, chapter 2 and 3, there were those seven great churches of Asia Minor back in the days of Paul and John, and those were, I guess, what we call, could call the Super Bowl of the churches. And the very first church that was mentioned in that seven was the church of Ephesus. What a great church it must have been. And there, after Paul started this church, turned the ministry over to young Timothy to be the pastor of that church. But now, as of this writing, he's no longer the pastor of the church, but he's doing the work of an evangelist in the area of the city of Ephesus. But Paul challenges young Timothy to preach the Word. Boy, can I say that if there's one thing that our world needs in these last days, it is some preachers of the Word. Amen. I'll tell you what's the truth, folks. We find that God has always had His preachers. You know, in a world that had gone absolutely crazy in the time of Noah, an antediluvian civilization that had all but turned its back on God, God's answer for that age was to call a man to preach by the name of Noah, and Noah preached the Word of God. You know, God's always had His preachers. God's always had a voice. God's always had a man to preach the Word. You know something in these last days? What America needs is some preachers of the Word of God. We don't need any more politicians. We got enough politicians. I'll tell you, bless your heart, what we need. We need some preachers of the Word of God in these last days. He challenges Timothy. Look at verse 2. He challenges him, number one, to preach the Word of God seriously. To preach it seriously. Look at verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, that is appearing and His kingdom. He says, Timothy, as you preach, you are preaching before God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'll tell you something. If there's ever a time... By the way, I like to pick around in church, and if I didn't pick around at church, 
I would never get to pick around a whole lot. And, and I had a lady told me one time, she said, you cut up too much in the pulpit. I said, ma'am, if you only knew how much I held in, you'd forgive me for the little bit that I let out. I'll be honest with you. I think we ought to come to church and have a good time. But I tell you, bless your heart, there's no serious, serious business in the entire world than the preaching of the Word of God. Well, we ought to be serious about preaching. Preaching is such a serious matter because in reality, you and I preach the message that will prepare men for the day of judgment. Paul talked about there in verse number 1 that Jesus, when He comes, is going to judge the quick, the living, and the dead at His appearing. We need to preach seriously. Number 2, we need to preach continuously. Look again at verse 2. Preach the Word. Be instant in season and out of season. I think what Paul is doing is saying, Timothy, there's never a time when there don't need to be preaching. Preach it, Timothy, when it's convenient. And Timothy, preach it when it's not convenient. Timothy, preach the Word when people want to hear it and preach the Word when people don't want to hear it. Amen. Preach the Word when everybody says, Timothy, preach. And Timothy, bless your heart, preach it when everybody's saying, we've had enough, let us go. Preach the Word. You know, if you have now waited on a convenient time to preach, there'd never be any preaching. You know why? The devil will never make it a convenient time to do the will of God. Preach the Word seriously. Preach the Word continuously, but then preach the Word fearlessly. Look again at verse 2. He says this, all preaching involves three things. It involves reproving, it involves rebuking, and it involves exhorting. Now, if you look at that, those three words there, three words for preaching, rebuke, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, you understand this, two-thirds of all preaching is negative. Now, can I have an amen? Uh, what about this section right here? Let's have everybody sitting over here, would you say amen right now? There ain't nobody over there. Hey, can I tell you something? Listen, preaching involves two-thirds. You know, in our day, people want to come to church. They want to be patted on the back and somebody just stand up and make them feel better about things and, and you know, just make them feel wonderful and fuzzy and encouraged. But Paul said, Timothy, bless God, stand up and you reprove them and you rebuke them, and you exhort them. Reproving, make them aware of their sinful condition. Rebuke them, make them aware of the consequences of their sin. Exhort them, exhort them to come to God and get their sin right in the sight of God. And then if you look at verse number 3, he gives a word about apostasy. Now I'm finally getting somewhere now. There's a word about apostasy. Notice what he says in verse number 3. Paul says this, For the time will come. Now, I'm not in favor of changing the Bible. I think you know that. The Bible says what it means and means what it says. But if I did rewrite this, I would probably read verse 3 like this, for the time has come. I mean, Paul said, now, Timothy, I'm going to tell you something. There is going to come a time. But I think you and I will agree with me when I say, boy, that time is now here. And Paul said there's going to come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves. They'll pile up teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now I'm going to tell you, he's writing, he's talking about a time of apostasy. Now let me tell you something. The word apostasy is not found in the Bible. But the word apostasy means this, a turning from or a turning away. 
Now, in, in, in theological terminology, that word apostasy means a turning from truth or a turning away from the truth. And even though the word is not found in the Bible, the definition of it is. Look at this verse right here, 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall, and then there's the word, depart from the faith. They turn from the faith. They turn away from the faith. Paul said in the last days, mark it down, there's going to be an apostasy, a turning away from the faith, a turning away from the truth. Then he said this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 3, he said this, let no man deceive you for that by any means, for that day, speaking of the day of Christ, shall not come except there come a falling away. There's the word again. You and I know that in these last days, one of the things we can just count on is this, there's a turning away from the truth. There's a turning away from the truth of God's Word. Now, most of the time when Paul spoke of the apostasy, he did so of speaking of it in terms of the pulpit. In other words, Paul said, hey, I just want to tell you, the problem about the apostasy is lying right there in the pulpit. Preachers are turning away from the truth. Preachers are turning from the truth unto falsity, unto error. And he laid the blame of the emphasis of the apostasy in the pulpit. But if you'll look there at verse 3 and verse number 4, we find the apostasy has now left the pulpit and it's gotten the pew. That's right. Look at verse 3. The time will come when they, the church, will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers, having it and turn away their ears from the truth. What started in the pulpit has spilled over into the pews. you got to admit that we're living in days, ladies and gentlemen, when people don't want preaching much no more. I mean, we're living in days of an apostasy. There's an apostasy that's been in the pulpit, these false teachers, these mamby-pamby, lacy drawered, soft-soaking, white washing, ear tickling, back scratching, kind of preaching in our day that don't want to stand up, don't want to get after anybody or say anything negative. All they want to do is make everybody feel warm and fuzzy about coming to church. I'm telling you, that attitude has left the pulpit and it's now entered the pews. You know, most people sitting in the pews don't want preaching anymore. What started out with Madonna saying, Papa, don't preach, has now entered the church with the, the people in the church saying, preachers don't. Preach. We're living in those days. Notice what he said there in verse 2. He said, the, uh, notice what they reject there in verse, verse number 3. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. What they reject, I'll tell you what they reject, preaching sound doctrine. Now what does that mean? Well, if you look up the word sound, that's where we get our English word hygiene from. That's right. Look it up in the Strong's Concordance. Our word hygiene, cleanliness, uh, comes from the word sound. In other words, what Paul is talking about here, they will, they will not want clean, wholesome, pure, healthy doctrine. Can I tell you something about the Bible? The doctrines of the Bible promote spiritual health and spiritual well-being. The doctrines of the Bible will prevent, will prevent spiritual decay and disease. Can somebody tell me how to preach the Bible without preaching doctrine? 
I remember years ago, uh, I'm from Mount Airy, and when I was just growing up as a boy, there was this guy, I don't remember his name, I remember his first name was Clyde. And anyway, they were promoting, they're going to have this big crusade in Mount Airy, and all the churches were going to get together. And there was going to be this big ecumenical revival, and this, his first name was Clyde. He's going to come, and they advertised it like this, he's going to preach the doc, uh, Bible, but he's not going to preach doctrine. Now, can somebody pray tell me how to preach the Bible without preaching doctrine? Buddy, I'll tell you something. I thank God for the doctrines of the Bible. Amen. They promote spiritual health and spiritual well-being. But we find that in the pew, by and large, of the church of the last days, there's a rejecting of sound doctrine. So we find what they reject, but then we also find what they receive. Look again at verse 3. They after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching, and they'll turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You know what in reality that's telling us is? They want something that will soothe their ears. They, won't, they, they don't want that kind of preaching that tells them the truth about sin and their need to get it right. They want something that, that, that soothes them, something that makes them feel good. Let me give you a verse. I thought about this verse when I read this. Here's a good verse in the Old Testament that says this, Isaiah 30 verse 10. And Isaiah back in Isaiah's day said, there'll, there'll come a day when they'll say to the seers, and that's just another word for the prophets, they say, see not. And to the prophets they say this, prophesy not unto us right things, Speak unto us smooth things. Boy, I'll tell you, we're living in days when preachers don't, uh, people don't want preachers to preach anymore. Most, preach, most churches in our day would rather have a politician than a preacher. We know about politicians, you know, they tell people what the people want to hear. I mean, let's just face it. Politicians, you know, what they do is they'll They'll wet their finger and stick it up in there and find out which way the winds of political opinion are blowing. And then they'll get on that platform and they think they'll say what the people want to hear. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what most Baptist churches, average churches in our day want. They no longer want a prophet. They no longer want a man of God who stands up because he has, to, he has something to say. They want a politician to get into the pulpit, lick his finger, find out what the deacons want him to say or the Women's Missionary Society wants him to say or whatever uh, the ecumenical movement wants him to say. Buddy, they don't want an old-fashioned man of God who's going to stand up, open the Word of God, chart a course through the Bible, and tell them what the Word of God has to say. We don't want that anymore. Amen. That's right. We want politicians. We no longer want preachers. And Paul said there's going to come a day. Now, you and I are living in that day. By the way, can I say this? Can I, can I brag on our church here for just a moment? Because I tell you, one of the things about our church is, is our church likes preaching. And I thank God for that. I tell you what, one thing I found out about our crowd around here at Woodland is when it gets quiet, it's soaking. I tell you, it sure has been quiet in here for the last month or so. I trust the truth has been soaking into these chairs. But I tell you one thing, thank God for a church that still don't want it watered down. They want it straight. Buddy, if I got cancer and I go to the doctor, don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I need to hear. Tell me what I, how much time I got left. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me to set my house in order. Whatever. Don't, don't sugarcoat it. 
Give it to me straight. Ladies and gentlemen, that's sugarcoating kind of preaching. Just don't get the job done. Paul has a word about apostasy. But then Paul moves from that. Look at verse 5. He has a word about ministry. Look again at verse 5. But he says, Timothy, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make foolproof, foolproof of thy ministry. I want you to look at that last phrase. Make foolproof of thy ministry. Could I put that in Forsyth County language? I think what Paul is saying is this. Timothy, be everything God's called you to be. Boy, I tell you what. When God's, God saved me and then God called me to preach, I, I've told you this before, but I mean, man, I, it was rough. And it ain't much better now, but it's longer. <laughs> All right. I, I'm sorry I have to laugh at my own jokes right now, but it ain't no better. It's just longer. And so, uh, but when God called me to preach, uh, boy, put a desire in my heart, and I have let him down miserably. But I want to be what God's called me to be. I really do. I, I want to be everything that God's called. And I don't want to be nothing God's called me not to be. I really don't. I've never tried to get in the pulpit and act like another preacher because that, I just ain't that. I just can't be that. Uh, I remember when Brother Gross retired here at our church. And, and uh, you know, and I become the pastor here at this church. And, and I, I don't know. I, our church never did. Nobody in this church ever come to me and said, Now, Brother Gross preached like this, and this is the way you need to preach. Because I'm not Brother Gross. I'm Brother Tim. I'm not, I'm not Mays Jackson. I'm Brother Tim. That's all I've ever been. All I, that's all I want to be. But I want to be everything that God has called me to be. And if you look there at verse number 5, Timothy really outlines what ministry is all about. For instance, if you look there at verse number 5, he says this, But watch thou in all things. Reminds me like this, that the preacher is supposed to be a shepherd. He's watching after after. His sheep. You know, as we know, a shepherd has to be constantly on guard for his little sheep. Sheep are very vulnerable. I mean, they're, very, they're easy prey for the, for the adversary. They're easy prey for, for the lions and the wolves and the, and the, and the, and the evil things of the, of the world. The only protection that little sheep have is in the presence of, of the shepherd. And, and, and Jesus is the shepherd. I'm just the under-shepherd. But bless your heart, I want to tell you something. I want to try to look after our church best I can. If somebody comes into our church bringing false doctrine in, they're not going to last very long. I remember years ago, we had a man come to our church, and he was a Calvinist. And uh, I, I, th I thought he was a good man, but he was a Calvinist. And I want to tell you something, man. I got, I got no time whatsoever for Calvinism. I'm not... That ain't who we are. That ain't the Bible. That ain't the Word of God. And that's not where we're going here. And that old boy come in here and he rode with me to a revival meeting one night and he said, Preacher, I just want to make a confession to you. He said, I am a Calvinist. And I said, Well, I got a confession to you. I ain't one. And I'm never going to be one. And I said, You probably ain't going to like it too good because I preach a gospel that God will save whosoever will. And I don't think there's any elect group or whatever. I think God will save anybody who will put their faith and their trust in Jesus. And needless to say, he didn't last long around here. Because, and, and by the way, I'm not purposely setting out to run people off, but I'll tell you what, man, we, I'm not going to tolerate somebody teaching something that is contrary to the Word of God. I'm not going to do that. I'm watching after my little flock around here. 
I'm going to take care of this church as best I can till the Lord moves me on. There's the work of a shepherd. He's to be a shepherd. Notice this. He's to be a soldier. He said, endure. Verse number 5, he said, endure afflictions. Now, we already noticed back in chapter 2 that Paul likened the, the Christian life, or the preacher especially, he likened him to that of, of a soldier. You know what soldiers do? They get shot at. <laughs> you know that? Many times soldiers, their actions are unappreciated. They face a lot of difficulties. And, uh, you know, they, they, they don't have a lot of comfort. But they're out there doing what they've been commanded to do. They're a good soldier. Well, the preacher is to be not only a shepherd, he's to be a, a soldier. You know, in our day, there's a lot of animosity growing toward the faithful preachers of the Word of God. We know that. We're living in the last days. People have very little tolerance anymore for a true God-called preacher. I get the letters. I've got them before, the letters and the, and the, the emails. I get the anonymous letters. I try not to. I, I told our, our church secretary, Miss Jeannie, I said, whenever a letter comes to our church and it don't have a return address on it, throw it away. I don't want to read it. And I got to tell you, there's been a few times they've kind of slipped through and I've read them and, man, it hurts your feelings. It discourages you when people tell you what they really, <laughs> what they really think about you and all that stuff. I've got the emails before. I've got anonymous emails. However you do that, I've got an emails from people that kind of tell me they really don't care that much for me and all that stuff. And I'll be honest with you, kind of hurts your feelings a little bit. But I got to tell you something. I'm not here to please people. I want to please God. And if that rubs the cat the wrong way, don't quit rubbing the cat. Let's God turn the cat around. Amen. Get the cat in the right direction. I heard about old Moody one time. He was handed a letter right before he stepped into the pulpit. And right before he stepped in the pulpit, he opened the letter. It had one word on it. It said this, fool. Fool. Well, Moody got in the pulpit and he said, I've received many letters in my life that were written and not signed. But he said, this is a first. I've received a letter that was signed and not written. Fool. Amen. You're welcome. Shepherd. He's to be a soldier. He's to be a shepherd. Look again at verse number 5. He's to be a soul winner. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, we know that there is an office in the New Testament called evangelist, the office of an evangelist. You know something? I have seen preachers before that just haven't... I've seen preachers that uh, really were not that, that great of preachers, but, buddy, when they gave the invitation, they could get people to come. Have you ever seen preachers like that before? Boy, I have. They have the gift of an evangelist. I mean, man, they'd stand up, preach some little old simple sermon or whatever, Give an invitation, look like people just crawling out of the woodwork coming to the altar. They have a knack. They have a gift. They're the gift of an evangelist. But not all preachers are gifted as evangelists. We're just told to do the work of an evangelist. We're to preach the word, win souls. We're to preach the word, give invitation, try to invite people to come, try to encourage them and exhort them to come. So he gives a word about apostasy. He gives a word about ministry. But then at the beginning of verse 6, he gives a word about eternity. A word about eternity. Now here's what Paul said, verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. 
I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul says, Timothy, I'm done. I'm at the end of the road. But Timothy, I want to encourage you, son. Finish well. Look at verse 7. Paul said, there's a good fight. Look at verse 7. I have fought a good fight. Can I tell you something? It is a fight. It's a fight to stay right. It's a fight to be right. It's a fight to do right. It's a fight, but it's a good fight. It's a fight worth fighting. I would encourage all the daddies. I know you get tired sometimes of trying to get your kids to do right, trying to get those little old girls to dress right and maybe get them boys to do right, listen to the right kind of music and go to the right places and hang out with the right kind of people. That's a fight. But can I tell you something? It's a good fight. One day you'll be glad you did. Amen. You dear moms, I know sometimes it's a fight. You don't maybe don't have the benefit of a saved husband, and there you are trying to raise those kids right, and maybe your husband don't half care if they do right or don't do right, and you battle him and you battle them, and it's just one fight after the next. But can I tell you something? It's a good fight. It's a good fight. Don't give up. He talks about the good fight. Look again in verse number 7. He talks about the godly faith. Verse 7, he says this, I have kept the faith. He didn't say I've kept my faith. He says I've kept the faith, the Word of God, the truths of, of God's Word as they have been revealed unto me. I have kept the faith. Paul said the other, the, everybody else can turn away if they want to. People can apostatize if they want to. They can give up. They can turn back. They can renounce what they used to preach, renounce where they used to stand. Paul said they can do all that if they want to. But I want to tell you something, Timothy. I have kept the faith. There's a good fight. There's a godly faith. Last of all, there's a glorious finish. Look what he said in verse 7. I have finished my course. Can I say this in closing? Boy, that's how I want to finish. I really do. I remember Brother Gross years ago, right before, I I don't know, it was one of the last times that he ever preached here at our church. And I don't think it was here, because I think he only preached maybe, I don't know, maybe three or four times, maybe four or five times here, but down at the old church. And I never will forget what that old man of God preached that last time. He got up, and I know he's listening tonight, and I don't want to hurt his feelings, but he got up and he forgot to tell us where to turn in our Bible. You know, I, I guess he was maybe just a little bit excited, but he forgot to tell us where to open our Bible to. And then he read some, read some verses. I don't really know where he's at. I think he was somewhere in the book of Psalms. But then he had three points to his message, and his three points went like this. I want to say what I've said. I want to stand where I've stood. And then he said, I want to finish what I've started. And can I tell you something? That's, I may not have exactly known the place that he was preaching, but what he was saying was this, I want to finish well. And can I say this, at the age of 57 years old, I want to say what I've said. I want to stand where I've stood, and I want to finish what I've started. Amen. Paul said, I just want to tell you, Timothy, I'm at the end of the road. I'm done. But Timothy, I've been exactly what God called me to be. And I just want to say to all of us tonight as we 
conclude our service, boy, that would be a noble desire for all of us to have. Just to start to finish what we started. Just to always say what we've said and to stand where we've stood. Amen? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.